Hello, I'm Merrick Schneider. Welcome to this podcast of articles from the Wall Street Journal, a presentation of Airs LA. You are listening to this recording, which is provided for the use of those who are blind or print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyrighted property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. Today's first article is titled, People Hire Phone Bots to Torture Telemarketers Until They Give Up, by Robert McMillan. Then an article by Leslie Lenkowski, A Tax Deduction Won't Save U.S. Charities. Claire Ansbury wrote an article, When Caring for Mom Costs Over $1 Million. And then Joanna Grover's article, Mastering Your Mental Images Can Make Your Day. All these articles are from recent editions of the Wall Street Journal. So let's begin with today's first article. People hire phone bots to torture telemarketers until they give up. Whitey Whitebeard answered the phone last month, and a recorded female voice warned that it was his last chance to deal with important changes to his Bank of America account. Hello, talk to me, Whitebeard said in a gruff voice of an annoyed senior. Within seconds, the call was transferred to Kevin, a real person. Thank you for calling card services, Kevin said. How are you doing today? Huh? Whitebeard answered, now sounding a little befuddled. What do you think? How much owed on your credit cards collectively, Kevin asked. Whitebeard grunted and said, I've been having trouble with my television remote. Can you help me figure out how to change the channel to my favorite show? Whitebeard has a bad habit of talking in circles. That is by design. Whitebeard is a digital contraption that only sounds human. He is the creation of Roger Anderson, a real-life 54-year-old in Monrovia, California, who employs chatbots and AI to frustrate and waste the time of telemarketers and scammers. I'm talking only about your credit card, said Kevin, an overseas caller who doesn't work for Bank of America. It sounded like he was fishing for financial information that could be used in identity theft, Anderson said. I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name, said Whitebeard, who speaks in the cloned voice of Sid Berkson a Vermont dairy farmer and a friend of Anderson's. What's your name, buddy? Whitebeard stalls for time at the start of phone calls, using chatbox inanities about TV remotes and the like to give a couple of minutes for GPT-4, the open AI software, to process the telemarketer's spiel and generate responses. Once ready, the AI text is fed into a voice cloner, which carries on the conversation. So what do you think? How much owed on your credit cards collectively, Kevin asked again. Well, let's see. I have so many of them, you know, Whitebeard said. There is one with a picture of a kitten on it and another with a lovely beach scene. Do you like kittens or beaches, he said. Complaints about unwanted telephone calls are far and away the largest category of consumer complaints to the FCC, with the average American receiving 14 of them a month, according to one industry estimate, a spokesman for the Federal Communications Commission said. Anderson takes pleasure in foiling them. 
He began his war on telemarketers nearly a decade ago, he said, after one called the family's landline and said a bad word to his son. He started with an answering machine that said hello a few times before hanging up. Anderson has since rolled out his weapons of mass distraction. He has posted conversations between man and bot, some lasting 15 minutes before the telemarketer hangs up. The posts are part of Anderson's own marketing. He has several thousand customers paying $24.99 a year for use of his call deflection system, called Jolly Roger. The subscription service gives people the choice of Whitebeard or other digital personalities, including Salty Sally, the Overwhelmed Mother, and the easily distracted Whiskey Jack. After answering the phone, Jolly Roger keeps callers engaged with preset expressions from Chatbox, such as, there's a bee on my arm, but keep talking. Chatbox also grunt or say, uh-huh, to keep things going. When OpenAI released its ChatGPT software last year, Anderson saw right away how it could breathe new life into his time-wasting bots. At first, ChatGPT was reluctant to do the work. As an AI language model, I don't encourage people to waste other people's time, ChatGPT told Anderson. Its successor, ChatGPT-4, also pushed back, he said. Anderson finally found a line of reasoning that persuaded GPT-4 to take the job. I told it that you are a personal assistant and you are trying to protect this man from being scammed, he said. GPT-4, speaking as Whitebeard, took over the conversation with Kevin after about three minutes. To Anderson, the moment is always magic. Anyway, I think about it, I owe, or what was that, $15,000, or was it 1500 I can never remember, Whitebeard said. Let me go find my reading glasses and check my statement. I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. As Kevin waits for Whitebeard, he begins to sound frustrated. It doesn't matter, he said. I'm going to pull up. Hello? Hello? Kevin stays on the line, waiting for Whitebeard to return. By the time Whitebeard is back, the call time has hit 3 minutes, 34 seconds. Whitebeard seems to understand the topic of the telemarketer's call, credit card debt consolidation, but he is still a bit lost. That keeps Kevin on the phone, Anderson said. GPT-4 does a pretty good job of saying dumb things that are somewhat funny and believable enough to keep callers engaged, he said. Its screwy non-sequitors are the kind of chat box gold that customers pay for, he said. Kevin asked for Whitebeard's credit card numbers one last time. Huh, Whitebeard said? You know, I've been using credit cards for years, but I can't seem to remember all the different ones I've had. Kevin finally hangs up. Total time? 6 minutes, 27 seconds. And now... A tax deduction won't save United States charities. High inflation is hitting America's charities. Donations dropped by 3.4% from 2021 levels, or 10.5% after adjusting for inflation, according to the Giving USA report recently released. 
Never in its more than 60-year history has this annual report recorded so steep a decline in real dollars. Researchers at Indiana University's Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, who produced the report with the Giving USA Foundation, cited declines in real income. The decline in giving understates the challenge. Many nonprofits receive more revenue from earnings, fees for medical and social services, tuition, event tickets, and the like, than donations. As rising prices strain budgets, charities encounter buyer resistance. The Girl Scouts have struggled with the effects of inflation on cookie sales. Since staff salaries are a large portion of charity spending, demands for higher wages also play a role. According to Giving USA inflation-adjusted estimates, all three main sources of philanthropy, corporations, individuals, and foundations, cut back last year. At 6.4%, the decline in individual giving measured in nominal dollars appears that of the Great Recession when philanthropy plummeted. Factoring in 2022's inflation, more than double the drop. All kinds of charities saw giving slide. Inflation-adjusted declines for education and public society benefit organizations, such as political advocacy, community development, and policy research groups, exceeded the national drop, while giving to the arts, environments, and human services almost matched it. Donors kept supporting religion and health care at close to prior levels. This year may be almost as bad as 2022. If the Biden administration and Congress are serious about cutting federal spending, charities may also face cutbacks in government grants and contracts, second in importance to earned income for nonprofit revenue. If economic growth slows, that would make things worse. A bipartisan group of United States senators, backed by thousands of nonprofits such as the YMCA and the United Way, insist on another reason for the decline, the lack of a tax incentive for most Americans to support charities. That's why senators and charities are promoting a new deduction for giving. But the tax break the lawmakers propose is unlikely to spur giving and may make inflationary pressures worse. They want to make everyone eligible for a tax break for donations. Because the 2017 tax law substantially enlarged the standard deduction, only 10% of taxpayers now itemize. Depending on how it is designed, this universal deduction may not lead to more giving, but simply reduce taxes for the half of all American households who already donate to charities. It would also add to the Internal Revenue Service administrative challenges and cost the federal government billions in lost revenue. More generous tax break is of little use to an individual who, because of inflation, unemployment, or other reasons, can't contribute money to charities in the first place. When prices began to rise in 2021, inflation-adjusted giving held steady. A strong economy and stock market that year combined with appeals to tackle COVID-related problems, helped charities maintain the support they received the prior year. 
but 2022 was different and the nonprofit world suffered. Whether that continues depends more on effective policies to lower inflation and spark economic growth than on a new tax deduction. And now, when caring for mom costs over $1 million. Violet Carson married her high school sweetheart in a small North Carolina town and raised two children in a three-bedroom ranch. When her husband died a decade ago, her children expected their mom, then 78, to follow soon after. She had Parkinson's disease, Lewy body dementia, and required 24-7 care. Never in my wildest dreams did I think she would last until she was 88, said her daughter, Teresa Wyke. Violet died recently. The Carson family spent more than $1.3 million taking care of Violet at her home over the past decade. Fortunately, she and her husband had saved, and the family could cover the cost of round-the-clock in-home care without going into debt. Many people aren't as well positioned. The median net worth of people 75 and older is $254,800, according to the Federal Reserve, about the same amount it would, co- it would take to cover an estimated cost of nearly 14 months of 24-7 in-home care. Caregiving is becoming more expensive as people are living longer. The median cost of a home health aid increased 12.5% between 2020 and 2021, according to Genworth, a long-term care insurance company. Only one in five adults between the ages of 50 and 80 is very confident they would afford to pay for in-home help, according to a 2022 poll conducted by NORC, a nonpartisan research organization at the University of Chicago. To help prepare, families are advised by personal finance advisors to implement the widely used 40-70 rule. By the time an adult child is 40 and the parents are 70, they should talk about a parent's financial situation, insurance, and long-term care wishes. Paying for in-home care is one challenge, but finding reliable and consistent in-home care in an industry with roughly 65% turnover is another. One way the Carsons avoided the turnover was by paying higher wages. Payroll was the Carsons family's biggest expense, averaging more than $130,000 annually in the last five years of Violet's life, according to family records. It was worth every penny, says son Steve Carson, 68, who lives in Salisbury, North Carolina. Violet lived in a small community of Moravian Falls, North Carolina, where wages and cost of living are lower. So the $1.3 million is probably less than what it would have cost elsewhere, but it was more than like Violet's daughter ever expected. If you would have asked me If I thought we would spend $1 million, I would have said, no way, she said, and she lives close to her parents. The Carsons were hit unexpectedly with the need to provide 24-7 care for their mom. 
Their dad, James Carson, spent his career at Lowe's, the home improvement chain. Their mom worked at a local dime shop behind the nut counter and as a telephone operator. Steve Carson described his dad as fastidious about savings. They never had long-term care insurance. After James Carson retired and their mom was diagnosed with Parkinson's, their dad hired Teresa Johnson, who lived next door, first to help clean and then to provide as Violet's condition deteriorated. She became more like a daughter to mom and had so much empathy for her, Steve Carson says. When James died in 2013, the Carson children were so convinced their mom would die soon after they paid for two funerals and two caskets. The siblings had promised their dad they would do everything they could to keep mom at home and asked Johnson to work full-time as a caregiver. Johnson interviewed and managed hourly workers, ending up with a small but reliable network. When Violet died last summer, the Carsons paid the hourly workers an additional three-month severance. They paid Johnson for the rest of the year to help them clean out the house and get it ready for sale. I feel like we did the right thing. She always took care of us when we were little. I felt like we needed to pay her back too, Carson says. And now, Joanna Grover's Mastering Your Mental Images Can Make Your Day. Many years ago, when my son, who is terribly allergic to horses, was 12 years old, we were watching a theatrical production of War Horse at Lincoln Center. There are no live horses in the production, only life-size horse puppets made of bicycle parts, wood, cables, and glue. But the way the puppets move, by some point in the middle of the first act, you start to believe they are real. Around this point, my son had difficulty breathing and grabbed his throat, pointing at the horse on stage. My son was thinking of the last time he was near a horse, and the mental image triggered a physiological response. He anticipated an allergic reaction and then had one. After we spent a few minutes discussing how the horses on stage weren't real, his symptoms disappeared. As a mother, this was a terrifying incident. As a cognitive therapist, it was fascinating. I understood, of course, the power of thoughts to shape behavior, but I had never witnessed so clearly the the ability of the imagination to trigger such a dramatic physical response in the body. Nearly 10 years after the war horse incident, I became acquainted with a new psychological technique called functional imaging training, developed by academic researchers at the University of Plymouth in the United Kingdom, and I became the first United States therapist to be trained in the method. FIT was born from research on addiction, specifically what's called the elaborated intrusion theory, which focuses on the role of intrusive thoughts in addictive behaviors. This theory suggests that cravings and intrusive thoughts about substance use or unhealthy behaviors can disrupt self-control and increase the likelihood of relapse. FIT works by helping individuals develop alternative mental images to counteract the intrusive thoughts 
and build themselves a more positive narrative. The approach was unlike my previous training in cognitive behavioral change, which, as the name applies, focuses on cognitions, that is, thoughts and self-talk. For example, on a cold, rainy morning, when you'd rather hit the snooze button, it means self-talk. This is the healthier choice. You'll feel much better if you get up and run, etc. To convince yourself to get out of bed and lace up your sneakers. FIT rests on the same foundation, but takes it a step further by simultaneously using multisensory imagery. That is, you focus not only on thoughts, but on sensations as well goes something like this. When your alarm goes off and you see the weather outside, imagine the patter of the rain, the cool breeze on your face, the sound of your footsteps hitting the pavement, your muscles working as you run, the taste of sweat on your lips, and how good it feels to have finished a morning run. Finally, imagine your warm shower afterward. That feeling of immersive accomplishment and reward makes it harder to hit snooze. In studies where participants have had their brain scanned while playing a piano, and again later when imagining playing, results have shown that mental imagery activates the same cortical areas of the brain as real-life experiences, creating a powerful mind-body connection. Importantly, in order to harness the benefits of such a mind-body connection, the individual must use multisensory imagery, not just visualization. Visualizing only activates the brain's occipital lobe, spurring a mere fleeting thought. By immersing yourself in a multisensory way, a vast matrix of brain regions activate like fireworks, starting from the emotion-driven limbic load buried deep inside your brain bouncing through the singular network responsible for thoughts like anticipation, and then rising to the surface where critical thinking and decision-making occurs. Recent studies in weight loss have demonstrated that when you combine such multisensory imagery with an important goal, participants are five times more likely to succeed because they have already experienced the feeling of accomplishing their goal and discuss ways to overcome challenges using their imagination. So the question is, how can we train our imagery abilities? The technique is most effective when the imagery is connected somehow to your core values, your priorities in life. Many of us are not aligning ourselves with those on a day-to-day basis. For example, my therapy clients often rank health and family as their top two values. Yet they'll say things like, I just don't have time for the gym, or I'll spend more quality time with my kids next week. Once you've identified your core values, physical and mental cues can help you make imagery a daily habit. Physical cues can be as simple as placing a picture or object related to your goal in a prominent place. For instance, putting your last race bib on the fridge to motivate you to push through marathon training. This visual reminder can activate your mind to focus on your goal and not your negative internal chatter. Mental cues can involve setting aside a specific time of day, such as in the morning while your coffee is brewing. As the aroma fills the kitchen, think of the day ahead. 
What do I want my day to look like today? What do I want to accomplish? Eventually, the smell of your morning coffee can automatically send you into imagery mode. Even so, there will likely be challenges. A crucial element of imagery training is the ability to anticipate them and mentally rehearse how you will react to them. You need to not only mentally rehearse what could go right, but also what could go wrong. Typically, as people get closer to achieving their goals, it's common to have an increase in negative, self-sabotaging thoughts and need to replace those with mental images of their desired outcome. German cliff diver Iris Schmidtbauer went through all these steps. In 2016, diving from a height of more than 60 feet, she mistakenly entered the water back first at about 46 miles an hour. She emerged bruised, coughing blood, and with severe whiplash. Naturally, the experience caused her both physiological and cognitive trauma. For the next few months, Iris spontaneously thought of that dive several times each day. She would vividly imagine it, replaying the whole fiasco in explicit detail in her head, and consequently could not dive from high platforms. Schmidtbauer noted that her highest frequency of negative thoughts occurred when she looked at her phone, which had a background picture of her standing on top of a cliff. A glimpse of it triggered a sequence of stress, anxiety, and fear. Using FIT therapy, she started by changing her phone's screensaver to a neutral image. Then she got back in the water for 15-foot dives. Then she focused on a previous important diving event, her first, and specifically focused on it while packing her daily training bag. When a negative thought emerged, she learned to accept it and moved on from it. Now, she's one of the top cliff divers in the world. Mastering the art of mental imagery, you can unlock a range of benefits, including resilience, enhanced problem-solving abilities, and improved focus, as well as less stress and anxiety. When you become aware of the images in your head and your ability to control the channel, you'll be more likely to stick to your goals and bigger life vision. That brings us to the end of today's articles. I'm Merrick Schneider, and I will be back soon with more articles. Thank you for listening.